from the dark recesses of my unconscious mind into the glaring light of objective reality. You are listening to the Dark Mind Podcast. Friends and familiars, thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Dark Mind Podcast, where we explore the boundless realm of dark literature and film. On today's show, we have a writer and a poet that blends romance and poetry into paranormal thrillers. She's joining me today to talk about her recent novel entitled The Magic Man, the long-awaited sequel to her debut novel, The Pain Eater. So without further ado, join me as we delve into the dark insight of Lashane Arnett. Shane, welcome back to the show. Yay! Hi, Vince. (laughs) (laughs) How are you? I am great. (laughs) Thank you for asking back. (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you for joining me on this 17th day of July 2023. I was a big fan of your first book, The Pain Eater, and was really looking forward to The Magic Man because I knew the story was going to get really dark. And I was not disappointed. The villain and his backstory are complex and compelling. Sadie's character is well-developed as she matured from the previous book. And the technical skill of the writing is very impressive because I know it's got to be hard for a nice, pleasant person like (laughs) yourself to go to such dark places. Yes. I love the book and I'm looking forward to talking with you about the story. Great. I'm glad to be here. Let's do this. Do it. (laughs) Well, so The Magic Man is the second book in the Sadie Reed series. And in the first book, we're given a look at the main character, Sadie, and her backstory. Mm -hmm. Sadie has hereditary psychic abilities, but in a very rare form. She's a pain eater. Mm -hmm. So... For those that haven't read either book, can you describe exactly what a pain eater is? Mm -hmm. A pain eater is basically a devourer of pain and ails on both a mental and a physical level. She can see things on people. She sees pain as if it's an entity on a person. So she basically feels compelled to heal people and their pain, take their pain away from them. So that's basically what she is. She's basically like 
uh, energy vampire, I guess, kind mm-hmm. of, but in a good way. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's pretty much the crux of it. And she didn't really know much about what she could do in the first book. And then after the tragedy with Angel, she was able to see the pain because she couldn't see it before. And so basically that's what a pain eater does. Pain eater just takes it away. All the pain. Definitely 100% a healer. She restores people to be their best self, I guess you can say. Because, you know, people get lost in their pain and their misery. And she's there to take away the parts that are... I guess, left over that you're unnecessary, but you hang on to mm-hmm. because some people get lost in their pain or they, they hang on to it. And so she's there to kind of just erase it. She's like a cleaner. <laughs> she <Yeah>. erases it. <laughs> it's kind of a you natural know. spiritual occurrence that helps maintain balance in the universe. Yes, absolutely. Well, there is also dark ties between her family and a mysterious man that has psychic abilities himself, but in a malevolent form and at his peak, a much more powerful form. In The Pain Eater, we're given brief glimpses into his character and his background, but just enough that it's almost as if you're showing him to us by shading the area surrounding him to give form Mm -hmm. to the absence of the character. So in the second book, we find out about his genesis and evolution. He's put right there in front of us. Right. So was the pain eater written with the completely fleshed out character of the magic man in mind, or was the concept of the character as ambiguous to you as you wrote him in the pain eater? And why was he written in that particular way? Um, he definitely was ambiguous character to me as well. <laughs> I'm a pantser, so basically the characters come to me as I'm writing. But he was sprinkled in there in the painter, little bits of him, you know. So he was kind of, you know, morphing into this something throughout the whole of the painter, little glimpses of him would show up. For me as well as for the reader. So, And then when the Magic Man came out, when I started to write it, I kind of had an idea because of the things that had transpired in The Pain Eater. But he just started evolving and growing as I was writing The Magic Man. So no, it wasn't, you know, something that I designed. It just kind of flowed and happened as I was writing him. I kind of had an idea that I wanted him to be a trickster, you know, that he could be a manipulator because in the pain eater at the end, her father, you know, he fills in the blanks for all of us, for the readers, for Sadie, finding out who this guy is, you know, because she was told that she was going to meet him and that their paths were going to cross. And then her father kind of filled in the gaps and you kind of got a little understanding of who and what he was but not to the extent in The Magic Man. The Magic Man, I told it all. <laughs> Starting from when he was little, you got to know him. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he was a doozy. And I kept trying <laughs> to kind of create him with some kind of redeeming qualities. I kept trying to stick that in there because that's who I am. Like, I want him to be, you know, this tortured person, but no. <laughs> so it just wasn't happening the character had another thing in mind he's like no i'm just pure evil like <laughs> don't try to make me something i'm not 
like, okay. So I just gave in and just let him just be the evil person that he is. We did not get along. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, that's what I was wondering since in the pain eater, as you were writing that, since you didn't really know exactly who he was at that time either. Was there like this apprehension of writing the magic man? Like, oh my God, what am I about to write? (laughs) It was. I kind of like had a conversation with myself. It's like, okay, I know he is this person and he's on this part of the spectrum. He's so far away from who Sadie is and the light and goodness. I'm going to have to go there. I mean, because I didn't want him to be some kind of a cheesy character. I wanted him to have death too. But at the same time, it's like, I don't want to really understand him. (laughs) You have to kind of, you know, you have to know a little bit. You have to tread on the dark side a little bit. But he did most of it. I just wrote and it just came out. So I let him, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I let him. But yeah, I did have a conversation like, oh, this is going to take a lot out of me. I knew it was going to because I'm an emotional writer. So I was like, I know it's going to take a lot out of me writing this kind of a character. So you have to kind of figure out where's your place going to be, you know, in it. How are you going to do this? How are you going to get out of it when you need to get out of it? It's like, oh, you got to surround yourself with good people and Uh and things that you can grab onto and and take a hold of if you need to get out of that place. And so that's basically what I did. But yeah, he's uh, not a nice guy. (laughs) Yeah. Well, kind of piggybacking off of what you were talking about as far as surrounding yourself with good people. You mentioned in the acknowledgments that you had to do that routinely. You had to take breaks Mm -hmm. from writing the extremely dark character. So I may not be remembering it correctly, but I feel like in The Magic Man, it seems like there was a lot more emphasis placed on Sadie and Adrian's relationship when it Mm -hmm. came to not only talking about the relationship, but there was also a lot of introspection from Sadie about their relationship, her examining it and, you know, saying obviously nothing but good things about it, being thankful for it. As well as it seemed like a lot more love scenes than I remember in The Pain Eater. Yeah. So was that another tactic within the actual writing of the book to kind of balance the darkness out? Yeah, for sure. I kind of wanted to expound on their relationship because, you know, it is true and it is love and it's the opposite of who he is. And so this whole book was about balance, you know, about either side of the spectrum. And so where you have him hating and have that hate where he just wanted to destroy women and kill Sadie is the other side where she wants love and she's light and she's restorative. So I wanted to kind of reflect on that and their relationship because that's what they are about. You know, mm-hmm. they're about love and about the completion and, and all of that. So yeah, I wanted to go there. That's the little break that I had being able to dive into them and, to see how they lift each other up and they help each other, you know, where he's just a destroyer and she's a restorative person. Yeah. Mm Yeah. Gotcha. I love their love. (laughs) (laughs) I really do. Even when he's mad at her, she's mad at him, you know, they still help each other out. You know, it's like, well, this is what I see. And she's like, okay, I get it. Will they ever have a knockdown, drag out argument? Not like 
when I say knock down, drag out, I just mean metaphorically, not like literal fighting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I actually, at one point I had wanted to have that in here, but I didn't. <laughs> it never came up. But I'm pretty sure in the third book there will be. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I, I mean, I kind of have an idea. It's just going to be more about, you know, him wanting to do more, but her not wanting him to mm. kind of thing. That's basically what it is, you know. I think that they have been friends for so long, you know, that all the other little stuff, they don't really need to get to know each other in that way. They're just getting to know each other through who she is as a pain eater now mm. and who he is with his powers that he's gotten, you know, because they're still learning who they are on that front. But as far as the Adrian and Sadie from junior high that met and grew up together, they know each other already. So I don't need to spend more time in that. Mm. You know, that relationship, that friendship is fortified. It's strong, you know. I mean, even with their love, too. I mean, just admitting it, it's like, okay, yeah, we're meant to be because, you know, they're soulmates as far as I'm concerned. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I want to spend much time on that, trying to develop that. I mean, but the other stuff, it's the new stuff that they have to come to terms with and learn how to grow together with, which we will, you know, see more of in the next book. <laughs> <laughs> they had a little bit of a fight in The Magic Man, a little bit. Yeah. If it's the one I'm thinking of, more of just kind of like slamming a door, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so circling back to the magic man, he was raised by, I'll just say, a doting mother mm -hmm. and a father that was quite the opposite. Yes. So knowing what I know about his parents, having read the book, I understand how those two could kind of be the perfect storm for the creation of the magic man. Yes. And I know there's all sorts of ways that traits, for lack of a better word, can be spread out among siblings. But why were the magic man's siblings not affected in the same way? Well, they kind of were <laughs> in a different sense. I don't really want to give plot reveals away, but yeah, yeah, yeah. One other sibling was actually magical, like mm -hmm. him, but the other one, I would say, he was gift more like in science mm -hmm. and mathematics, you know. So they really were kind of gifted too, you know. I guess I'm I'm speaking more to the uh, father's side, like oh yeah. How did they escape the taint of the father? <laughs> <laughs> oh, because he, he, I think he absorbed it all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. He absorbed it all you know? <laughs> because he was a willing subject. Yeah. So it was more or less, you know, he absorbed it all. And then he was just destined to be bad, mm -hmm. you know, and to take the brunt of it, I guess. But knowing who the other people are in his life, you can already see that his other siblings kind of were the counter to him, you know? in a sense. So it's almost like the family can't have too many, right? <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. you have the mom and the other siblings and then the dad and him, you know, uh -huh. so yeah. kind of balanced it in that sense. I mean, the book, I try to make the whole book kind of about balance, you know, mm -hmm. like you said, the darkness and the light to kind of, you know, mimic that through with almost all the relationships that were in it or all the people that were in it. And so, so they kind of had it a little 
But I don't want to give away too much. But <laughs> Oh, no, no. I hope I didn't bring up no, too did. much of a spoiler there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, again, without giving away too much, I wanted to ask about the involvement of a crow. And that's all I'll say about its involvement. Okay. But it seems that crows have special significance to mystical traditions. And I had... Ruth Ann Jaggi and Natasha Sinclair mm-hmm. on, and they have crows prominently featured in their novel. Mm-hmm. And uh, Natasha in particular has a special reverence for them. What is your affinity or connection to crows? Well, there was two reasons why I incorporated them into the book. First of all, they feed on death. <laughs> so as far as like, I just kind of want to represent the pain eater, but also the darkness because he is a creator of death. So it's kind of like the crow kind of represents both of them in that sense, you know? Mm-hmm. And also they say that crows, they can see four spectrals of color where we see three. So people say that they can see auras. Oh. So I kind of wanted to have this animal that was involved that can also be like Sadie that can see, you know, the auras and people. And also I remember one year we took the kids to, it's a, like a wild animal park kind of up here in the desert. And they had a crow in there and he mimics you. Mm. He copied your voice when you said stuff. He talked. And so I'm like, oh, so the magic man mimics people mm-hmm. in every shape and form. So I was like, that's what crows do too. They mimic kind of like how they say hyenas call your name. Mm-hmm. Well, crows do the same. You'd say something and he would repeat it. They're like parrot. And so I'm like, that's the perfect animal to represent, mm-hmm. you know, this journey that Sadie has to go through because it embodies both him and her. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's why basically I chose a crow, you know. I didn't know that about the colors, though, that they could see more. Yeah. But I thought, that, how perfect is that? <laughs> they can see auras <laughs> on people, you know. <laughs> so is this, what, what did you refer to them as, spectrum, spectra of color? Oh, like the spectrums of colors. I guess we see three, whereas they see four. Okay. So it's. It's one that exists. It's not uh-huh. one that's like a singularity that uh, only exists with them. It's right. Okay. There's a fish as well mm. that can see the same. I think it's red that they see. They see red, blue, and yellow, and we see green, yellow, and blue, or something like that. Mm. Okay. But there's other animals that have that that can see four as well, and I believe it's in the it's like fish, something like that. So. Mm. But yeah, I just thought that was neat. Plus, you know, like what happens in the book. So I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, it has to be some kind of a bird. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I thought crows are the perfect dark, ominous kind of animal, you know, especially they feed on death. And I thought, this is perfect. (laughs) (laughs) This is perfect. Absolutely. Mm hmm. Well, so there is a scene in The Magic Man where Sadie helps a woman get out of a rut between here and the afterlife that she was in because of the traumatic and abrupt nature of her death, which got me thinking as to whether or not our conscious state of mind affects our ability to either dissolve into nothingness or move on to whatever happens after death. What do you think and where did that come from as far as your personal beliefs when you wrote that? 
as far as our conscious state when we die, if you think it affects, you know, our transition to wherever that happens to be. Yeah, I absolutely think so. I think that we're all energy. So, I mean, I don't want to give it to where people are thinking, oh, well, if my person died in a tragic way that they had to suffer and they're still here because they have unresolved things. I don't want to put that out there, but yeah. <laughs> but I do believe that, you know, some people do probably stay back, you know, energies. I mean, imagine if something happened really fast, you know, like they died in a very quick way and they don't even realize that they're dead, which is what happened in the story. Mm-hmm. Basically, like she was looking for her son. So mm-hmm. she was stuck, you know, and she was looking for him and she couldn't get out of it like the rut. And so I believe that her energy, it was like that one last thing she needed to do. She needed to save it. That's why when Sadie came to her and, and basically told her, oh, you know, mm-hmm. he's here now. She left. She went, you know, <laughs> went to there <laughs> to where he was. So I believe, yeah, I believe that there were such things as echoes that energy stay around ghosts, what have you, you know, mm-hmm. that's what I believe. If they don't go on to wherever they go, I think that they stay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So you think there's an actual place or is it just a mm-hmm. different form of energy? I think it changes forms of energy so yeah. much. Mm-hmm. I've always wondered if we retain our self-awareness, like, do we still have the memories of our previous life? I guess that's uh, when you get into uh, like reincarnation or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I've heard stories like the story of that one kid. He was saying that he was somebody named Pamela Mm. who died in a fire in Chicago and said his name. And so his mother, they did research and found out there was a woman that died in a fire named Pamela, you know. (laughs) So you wonder about certain things like that, like how would a kid know this? (laughs) Mm. You know, are instances you hear, you know, like that. Or I don't know, I watched those ghost stories and you see like some of them that are angry that stay around places Uh and just taint places and haunt places or whatever like you want to know like what's their story why are they hanging around why aren't they going (laughs) Mm -hmm. there has to be something to it you know yeah i mean i know i've told you this before but we've experienced some things here before you know Um, Mm. doors opening and closing stuff like that but I don't sit around to ask them questions, though. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember if it was you and Sammy were at Burlington or something. Yes, Sammy uh, was psychically attacked. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she was attacked in the store. Yeah, that was crazy. And here at the house, we actually had the front door open. It's very windy up here all the time, so we just assumed, but it didn't open fast. It just opened, and it almost seemed like somebody was going to peek around the corner, like, hey, hey, you guys, what's up? (laughs) But nothing was there. And then instantly I was like, you need to go because you're not welcome here. You didn't ask for permission to come in. And the door (laughs) shut by itself. And I was like, okay. (laughs) Well, at least they know who's boss. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I was really surprised at how calm I was, you know, that I didn't get all freaked out. My kids were sitting right there. So instantly it was like, no, you need to go. I actually <laughs> thought about what would my mom have done? She would have told it to leave. So that's exactly mm-hmm. what I did. Like, you need to go. And the door <laughs> shut and I was like, okay. So, but our neighbor across the street has had things happen in her home. And 
she's called us freaking out, her lights flickering and hearing things banging in her room. So me and Samantha have gone over there and, you know, tried to bless her house or whatever you do, you just say, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> with sage and stuff and tell her not to be afraid of it. That has happened. Our neighbor next door to us, one day he called, he said, can you guys go over there? Because the kids are over there. They said they saw some money in the house Mm. and they don't want to go back in. And they were standing outside so freaked out because they saw something, a shadow or something, you know, (laughs) stuff like that. So, Mm. you know, so I always think to myself, that can't be just random stuff, Mm. you know, like it's got to be some kind of spirits or something hanging around. So I do believe it (laughs) 100%. 100. <laughs> Maybe it's you have to be raised in it to know it. Uh-huh. You know, some people think it's just silly. I don't know. I don't. I believe it. So, yeah, I feel like I'm probably like insulated mm. because my natural inclination to deal with feelings and stress is to like put up a wall. So I think when it comes to like spiritual stuff, I probably don't experience it because I'm just like wrapped in like a six foot thick brick wall. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, Garth's the same way because he hasn't, he wants to really bad, but he Mm. hasn't, he's like, why don't I ever, (laughs) I'm like, I don't know, maybe he's looking for it too much. I don't know, Mm. but he hasn't experienced it yet, you know, but he's working all the time. So he did one time, long time ago, back in the 90s, I experienced sleep paralysis a lot. Now I do experience that. Yeah. Yeah. I experienced it for like uh, a lot one time. In fact, hey, how you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I experienced it like every day and I used to be afraid to go to sleep. And I was like, no, Like I kept thinking to myself, I'm going to try to hit him or find a way to wake him up because it would just have him wake me up because I was experiencing it so much that I started kind of getting afraid of it. But then one time he actually got to where at the time we had a waterbed and he experienced it for the first time. And he was like, but before I experienced it, I thought something jumped on the bed. It felt like something got on the bed. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I thought it was our cat because we had a cat. He's like, I thought it was the cat just like getting on the bed. He goes, but when I opened my eyes, there wasn't anything there. And then I couldn't move, mm-hmm. you know, and he's like, I felt like there was something pressing down on me. That's the only thing he's ever experienced. That was like, he couldn't explain it, you know, mm-hmm. like he was just like, what's going on? So. But that was way, that was when it was just the three of us, me, Kiara, and him, like, you know, no other kids involved or anything. So, (laughs) you know, but you say you experience it? Yeah. I mean, it sounds like what I experience is sleep paralysis, but basically I'm still in a dream state, but I know I'm asleep and I need to wake up. Mm -hmm. And it used to be this recurring dream that happened Mm -hmm. when I was a kid where I was in like a black room that was covered, you know, I mean, the the floor, the walls, the ceiling were all covered in what seemed like black felt or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I was just laying there and there would be some sort of spherical something or other mm. in the corner that I could see out of the corner of my eye that were just rolling back and forth in a real creepy way. And I would be like trying to, 
jerk my body because mm-hmm. I know I would snap awake if I did that, but I'm paralyzed, so I can't do it. So that doesn't really happen anymore. It's like just whatever random dream I seem to be having. But I read somewhere that you can wake yourself up. Usually you can make a fist Mm. and you can wake yourself up if you start making a fist, like closing and releasing, closing and releasing. I remembered to do that one time and it worked, but I have not remembered to do it since. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it almost sounds like you had some alien visitors. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing how you would react. Hey, that's why I was walking funny when I got up. Had a little probe action there. No, <laughs> I had one time when I was I was sitting on bed and I was like, I think I was writing, and I got up and I walked to the door, and then I remember stopping at the door and looking back and seeing myself on the bed, mm-hmm. and I went whoosh, and I was like, I think I just lucid dreamed like a walk. Because I went to the door and for some reason I stopped and turned around and looked and saw myself sitting on the bed. And then I went back into myself and woke up and like, whoa, I was literally dreaming. Mm -hmm. It was either astral projection or, you know, something like that. But Mm -hmm. it happened. That only happened one time. But I was like, whoa, that was a trip. (laughs) That was a trip because I had no idea that I was sleeping. You know, I thought I was awake and I just got up to go out to the kitchen and then. I know for some reason I stopped at the door and decided to look back. And I was like, like, that was really bizarre because I wasn't trying to, because before I used to try to astral project and it never happened. But this time it was just kind of like, I think it was a astral projection because I came out of my body, you know, that was really cool. But it was also kind of scary because it it was scary because I didn't know it was happening. You know, you like Mm -hmm. to be able to be in control of those kind of things, I think, you know, or you have Mm. an insidious experience where you're just lost (laughs) somewhere and can't get back. (laughs) Well, circling back to the book, you alluded to it already about the magic man being identified as a trickster. Mm -hmm. And there are many trickster gods in mythology. And, you know, not to say that the magic man is a god, but that's the first thing that I thought of. Mm -hmm. And the first one that came to my mind was Loki from Norse mythology. So even though he's not technically a god, or at least as far as we know, I don't know, maybe, (laughs) maybe he is. Was the magic man and his many talents based on a specific trickster god? And if not, how do you define trickster and the relationship to the magic man's character? Mm, actually, you kind of hit the nail on the head there with right. Loki. Yeah, he oh, really? was one of the um, archetype <laughs> gods that I kind of uh, mirrored the magic man after. Well, not so much to where I did research on Loki and then wrote him. But as I wrote him and then Samantha was because she's very knowledgeable on Loki Uh and she read it. She was like, he sounds like Loki. (laughs) I was like, yes. okay then. (laughs) You know, so, yeah, there's a lot of different types of trickster gods out there. And a lot of them are considered good, (laughs) which is crazy Mm -hmm. because they're very smart. And a lot of them used to help people like would go out and. It's almost like a kind of a Robin Hood kind of archetype where they would, you know, they would steal from the rich to give to the poor and that kind of thing. So they use their powers for good. But I use the more negative connotation, which is like Loki, where he's the great manipulator and 
you know, uses it for a negative and bad and basically narcissistic and selfish means, you know, he's only mm-hmm. doing it for himself for his own power. So yeah, that's pretty much what I decided. Okay. Because he's pure evil, let's just go to the side of just using people and manipulating, you know, alchemy is something that's involved with magic. And they say the trickster archetype. So the magician in that sense manipulates natural things in external and internal ways, you know? Mm. So that's kind of like what I used to create him. Yeah. And so one thing I noticed about him is, I guess because he's not the good guy, obviously, in a like a standard hero's journey archetypal story, the good guy would be mentored in some way. Mm-hmm. Is the reason he wasn't mentored, so to speak? I mean, I can think of a whole list of reasons, but like, was there any in particular that you had in mind when you decided? Just because he was very haughty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was very narcissistic and he just thought, He just knew everything, you know? Mm. I mean, he did try to seek out to learn about who and what he was. Mm. But you notice he didn't ask anybody any questions. When he kind of got an understanding about what he was, he kind of did a little bit. But I don't think that he really cares to (laughs) be mentored by anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. I know, because I kind of thought about that for the third book, because the women that he dated in the book. Some of them were witches and new spells, and he always found it kind of interesting. But then Mm. at the same time, he's like, but why do I need to know how to use magic in that way when I am magical? You know, it's kind of like he just has that haughtiness to him about it. But I also thought to myself, if he was a person who could be taught, Mm. he probably would be unstoppable. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. He would probably get so powerful, which was a scary thing. And I don't know. I'm like, Sadie's not going to be able to handle that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) She wouldn't be able to handle him. He's already got years on her, you know? So it's kind of like, that's the reason why I was like, I need to make a third book because there was no way they were going to face off in this book because she's just too new, Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, you saw how he acted with Angel, you know, Mm. he already had that kind of like, well, I'm this and I'm, (laughs) Mm. you know, kind of thing. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's kind of like, I kind of like that he was that way, though, like I said, Mm. because I feel like he would be way, way too hard to fight if he really honed in on magic and knowing about spells and that kind of thing. Woo. Yeah, it's almost fortunate that he didn't even quite know about his exceptional nature at first. Mm -hmm. What would his angel be like? I know. (laughs) He's like like the devil himself. Kind of. I know. Little (laughs) imp. (laughs) No, he kind of mirrored his dad unknowingly when he was younger. That's Mm -hmm. why his mom was like, "You're a sociopath, like your dad," you know. And it wasn't until certain circumstances I don't want to give it away when she realized mm. what he actually was you know yeah. oh he's this so but at first it was just kind of like well no she's not going to mentor to try to temper that in him like to kind of keep it under wraps kind of suppress it which mm. made things much worse <laughs> <laughs> you know uh-huh. well so in the story psychic ability is inherited 
and sometimes bestowed. And it seems like psychic ability seems kind of analogous to creative talent. Would you say that's true, that creative talent is hereditary? And do you know of anyone that you believe was born with creative talent that was able to, in a sense, bestow creative ability on someone by mentoring them in some artistic medium? Mm, I like that. I believe that talent can be hereditary and it can also be taught. (laughs) Okay. You know, I think it can be learned because I think that Everybody has the potential to do something. I know my sister-in-law, ex-sister-in-law used to always say, your family is, you guys are just creative and artistic talent, but her kids are like academically just so smart, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So that's a talent too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, being able to open up a book and be book smart is a talent as well. But I believe that people can be taught it and learn it. So I think it's both. I actually think it's both. Like the academically talented kids, you think it's possible that one of them, just by the nature of growing up around talent, you know, maybe they didn't necessarily have a natural talent. It's just like the nurture of being growing up around them. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, like um, they don't have all the accolades as their brothers and sisters, but they're right there with them because they had it around them. You know, yeah, um, nature and nurture is a weird it really percentage is. to try to figure out. <laughs> it really is. And I dipped my foot into that for this one as well. It's in his nature, the magic man, to be this way. But you know, if his mom tries to nurture that out of him or tries to nurture goodness into him, how is that going to fare? So I kind of like touched on that in the book, and it's like. Some people are just inherently evil and there's nothing you can do about it, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? And so, yeah, Yeah. it's very, very strange nature versus nurture because, I mean, there's people out there that don't have any kind of talents, (laughs) but you don't know what they could have done. You know, they might have been able to do something. They probably just didn't have the right element in their life to nurture it in them, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, we've talked about it a little bit previously, The pain eater and the magic man are the contrast of light and darkness. How does the next book fit into that uh, stream of consciousness? Well, it's going to have to be the balance. I mean, I want to balance in this book, but I really don't think that light and dark can exist without one another. Mm. So that's the conundrum. (laughs) You know, how (laughs) is that going to play out? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I just think that we're just going to have to probably explore it. Who knows? Maybe Sadie might touch a little bit on some dark side to understand her light more. We mm. don't know. <laughs> Something wink, like wink, that. Wink, wink, know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wink, wink, say no more, say no more. <laughs> say no more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, there's always a little bit of chaos in it, right? In the mm. balance. So maybe... She needs to um, explore that in order to be able to overcome his darkness, you know? Mm. We'll see. (laughs) Well, I feel like I've asked you this before. Is this going to be a trilogy or how many books are you intending? A trilogy. Okay. I think I might stop. I don't know. She might come back in the years later. But for right now, I think so, because I want to move on a little bit. I have a couple of other books that I'm working on. 
novels, some epic tales. And so I kind of want to move on to that unless she comes knocking and says, hey, (laughs) you know, I'm not finished yet. So, Mm. you know. How dare you ignore me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, These things are never planned, right? So she might be like, "Um, uh, I have some more things that I need to finish. And I'm like, okay, fine, Sadie, let's do this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it is a great book and I'm going to leave it at that. Listeners at home, read it, buy it. (laughs) Or actually probably reverse that order. Buy it, then read it. Then read it, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Some people like to test it out first before they buy it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. If I keep going, we'll get into some deep spoilers. So, yeah, that's true. Moving on to the writing process, writing a novel is obviously a monumental task. So, is there something that you learned from writing The Pain Eater that you applied to The Magic Man that made the process a little easier and/or less stressful? Yeah. I think when I wrote The Pain Eater, this is my first attempt at writing a novel. Mm. So I was kind of just trying to absorb as much as I can and do everything right and try to cross all my T's, dot my I's, put my commas, you know, do all that stuff. And not to say that I didn't have fun with it, you know, writing the character and everything, but just going into The Magic Man, I was like, you know, I'm just going to take a more lax approach and just be able to dive more into the character and the story and not worry about getting everything grammatically correct. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kind of OCD about that. Uh, The Magic Man did take a while to write, but it was just because I kept taking so many breaks with writing him. Not so much like with the pain eater, it was more like, is this sentence structure right? (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? That kind of thing. uh, So... I think that's basically what I learned, basically to just trust the process more, mm-hmm. you know, nice. just go with the flow and have fun with it and don't take it so seriously, you know, mm-hmm. because I really couldn't <laughs> <laughs> because he was a terrible person. So was uh-huh. like, you know, I had to be able to kind of try to have fun with it, even yeah. though it's a very dark, dark book. I just had to yeah, just let it go. Just write it. Can't get too emotionally invested in the magic man. <laughs> He'll take you with him. You cannot. <laughs> yeah. You know, I kind of went a little, you know, with the pain eater because it was more like therapeutic for me because it came after, you know, the death of my mom. So mm. it was very emotionally heavy, <laughs> mm. you know, as this one's a little more, he's just despicable <laughs> <laughs> kind of thing, you know, so uh, kind of had a little more fun with this one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you are a poet and it manifests in your prose when you're describing things like love or loss. So I was curious to know, did any of the writing of The Magic Man develop into poems? I always wonder if that happens with poets, if when they're writing prose, they get into like a very descriptive emotional scene and it just takes off. And the next thing they know, they're writing a poem. (laughs) It's funny because I did do that a lot and I kept it in the book. Mm. because I would come out of it and I would go to write a poem and I'd be like, oh, but that's so good for the book. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to put that in there, you know, like I didn't want to take away from that. So yeah, no, I just kind of stuck it in there and I'm like, oh, I'll just use them as quotes for later on for the book, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So I left it in there. <laughs> awesome. I left it. Yeah. 
Well, within the context of poetry, I know you're probably swamped with writing The Magic Man, but when you're not actively in the process of writing a novel, I was curious to know I had interviewed a poet by the name of Dylan Webster, and he was talking about there being a big poetry scene in Phoenix, where he's from. Mm -hmm. So where you live, is there something like that? Like, do you go do live poetry readings at clubs and coffee shops? No, I wish I did. I wish there was, but there isn't, you know, mm. it's usually just me and my son. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, Hey mom, I wrote this new poem. Or we talk about different poetry books. That's pretty much it. <laughs> gotcha. I do that when I do my voiceovers and post them on Instagram. So that's my stage. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> that's my beatnik stage. <laughs> nice. Well, your daughter, Sammy, is very intertwined with both the Pain Eater and the Magic Man. And listeners at home, when you heard me say hello earlier, that was her daughter kind of sneaking into the frame. I was not hallucinating. <laughs> <laughs> she was the cover model for the Pain Eater and designed the cover for the Magic Man. It was from her creative mind beginning as a sketch, then produced into digital form for the book. So how did the brainstorming work between you two to get that finished product? Well, first of all, I kind of talked a little bit about who the magic man was, that he could be anyone and be anything, you know. And at the time, Austin Spare's work had a lot of faceless bodies <laughs> in his work. And I was just like, oh, this is really cool. Like this kind of embodies who the magic man is, mm -hmm. you know, because he could be anyone. So there's all these faces around this person. And so I kind of mentioned that a little bit to her. I kind of made up a mock <laughs> cover, mm -hmm. you know, kind of, of how I wanted it. Of course, it's nothing like what she made. <laughs> like it's totally different. She just went on her own. So it was kind of basically me just kind of telling her a little bit of this showing her a little bit of Austin Spare's work. And then she took it from there. She nailed it, man. Mm -hmm. She really did. She nailed it. Even so much as in the bottom, there's the skulls. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, those are the two women that were brought up yeah. in the first book. <laughs> like, you know, that could be the women, you know? I like the two-tone, almost like gunmetal. Listeners at home, we're ogling the book cover right now, <laughs> in case you're wondering yes. what's happening. Yeah, I love it. Like, she decided to make it black and white, and I was like, that is it. Mm -hmm. At first, we wanted to do yellows, so it can look like the Magic Man tarot card. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, have the yellow and the reds, but it just didn't feel right. And then she inverted the picture, because at that time, she just had him drawn. And I said, ah, that's it. <laughs> black and white. It's got to be black and white. And that's the yin, the yang, the light, the dark. Like, that is it. Yeah. And then all the tree branches. And, you know, that was symbolic of him as a child. And then having the three women on the front that were kind of like reaching up, like trying to grab him. And how in the hand, he's like barely touching it. It's almost like they're grabbing very hard trying to grab him but he's like barely touching them yeah and then when she did the face the face now, there's some color there yeah and it's showing him you know underneath yeah it's like red fissures everywhere you know mm -hmm. i wanted it to represent like the muscle and everything underneath yeah 
But she's all, tell Vincent that it was cheese pizza. I said, cheese pizza? She's like, yeah, you know. And the, the oh, to get the viscera. The, oh, okay. Yeah, to look like she, I, <laughs> I saw like a cheese pizza and I thought, oh, the face can be behind <laughs> Yeah, that's an interesting point of reference. <laughs> yeah, I was like, cheese pizza. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm hungry. Jesus. <laughs> I love that, though. She nailed it, man. She really did. And then, like, in the background right here, you can see the circle. It looks like an eye behind you. Oh, it's like yeah. the halo. Yeah. It's the eye, like the eye of the crow. Yeah. And I was like, dang, Samantha. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these things you're pointing out to me, I wouldn't have caught on to. Yeah. They're, like, subconsciously in my mind. She's messing with me. That's what she's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she's the trickster. <laughs> she is the trickster. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And then... We went through a lot of different, like at first I wanted it to be high gloss, but I just didn't like it. And then I said, you know, let me try the cover for it to be matte. Mm -hmm. So it has texture. And then I really love the way it felt. And then when you look at it, like the drape, the cloth down on the bottom, Mm -hmm. it just looks so velvety. Mm -hmm. The matte on the book just made it look so velvety. I was like, this is it. It's perfect. Yep. Nailed it. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And the little sigils, we made the little sigils in the corner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was like the Arnett. <laughs> we took the A. Oh, okay. You see that down in there? Yeah, I'm thinking it's a, like a derivative of a pentagram, but yeah, no, I see it's... No, it was like an A, like uh-huh. kind of an A with a circle, and so we just kind of turned it. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And you said the, I guess, framework for this... Or maybe not the framework, but what kind of inspired you was the Magician Tarot card? Mm -hmm, The Tarot card. Like Rider Waite deck? Like the classic? Yeah, yeah. Just like the square and then on the bottom, having the title on the bottom. Yeah. Because I played with the title being up on top. And I was like, no, I want it to be like the Tarot card because the Tarot card is significant Mm -hmm. in the story. So Yeah. I thought, let's play on that, you know, and he's the magic man. Let's go for the magician card, you know, mm-hmm. the trickster. Well, so Sammy is involved in your art. Do you ever get involved in hers? In her art? Oh, no, not as much as her saying, Mom, <laughs> <laughs> come look at this. And I'm like, oh, that's good. You know, <laughs> maybe once in a while I'll be like, oh, maybe you should do this or, you know, whatever. But yeah. That's about as far as it goes. (laughs) The reason I was asking is because I was suggesting a possible joining of forces as writer and director to make a short film. Yes. You write the screenplay. She's the director. And (laughs) yes, we get the friends involved as actors. We've kind of like talked about it too already. Oh, yeah. And she's a screenwriter too. Oh, okay. Which in this instance, we were talking about she wanted to write a screenplay for the pain eater. Mm. And so she was thinking about it. And so I'm like, you do that. And then I'll do the graphics. I'll do the pitch deck. (laughs) I'll do the series Bible. She's like, it's gotta be a series. I'm like, okay, we'll do the series Bible. Mm -hmm. I'll do that. I've done that a couple of times for some people. So it's like, let's do it. (laughs) You know, let's manifest this, make it happen. (laughs) Well, I remember you called in on the live stream one time and we're speaking of the actual publication of the book, speaking about all sorts of things that were going wrong with the publishing process. 
kind of uh, almost as if the trickster himself was playing games with you. So, um, oh, he was. <laughs> you mentioned a couple of things, I think, but for the benefit of the listeners, what were those things, and have they stopped, or have you in fact conjured the magic man into existence and ushered in the apocalypse? Oh, please no, please no. <laughs> we don't want that man walking around. Anyway, yeah, it was really crazy. Like as far as formatting the book and getting it done, the fonts kept changing. Mm -hmm. The cover is supposed to be, you know, in the middle and it kept getting off. And if people buy like the box set, I have like the little tarot card with it, with the picture of him. And at first I was just printing it out myself that kept messing up. It kept smearing. Anytime we kept trying to take a picture of the book, it would get blurry. And like, we were like trying to make some marketing promo videos and stuff. And he just would not show up. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> he is like, he's being very defiant. <laughs> you know, he was being trickster in every sense of the word. But finally, it calmed down because I kind of said, you know what? Just get it all out. Mm. Just get it all out. <laughs> and finally, I just kind of like had to say, it's all going to work out. It's all going to just play out the way that it's supposed to play out. I'm not going to show resistance to it because if I do, then he's going to be like, <laughs> more. <laughs> <laughs> and then after I just kind of like let it go, everything just started falling into place. And then I finally got the draft, you know, that I wanted the print was perfect. Uh -huh. So if anybody out there got the very first ones that came out with a very tiny print, just hit me up because I will send you the actual <laughs> the book that's supposed to be because it, it got to the point where I'm like, I need a magnifying glass and I know I need readers to read, uh -huh. but this is ridiculous. <laughs> and it was really crazy. And then for the cards, I ended up just going to a company and just having a bunch made because... For some reason, my printer was like, nope, I don't want his face being printed out <laughs> at all. And I was like, oh, my God, uh, it was really crazy. But maybe it was the energy that I put into the book, you know, mm -hmm. when I made it. So it kind of just had to die out. And so now everything's good. <sighs> yeah. Well, how did the uh, you had said you were going on a social media book tour? Yeah. How did that go? That went really well. It went really good. You know, I got my book out there to people. So people either read it and reviewed it or they, you know, just posted about it for me. Um, I went through r, r book tours. Shannon over there is really good. She's on Insta. So it went really well. Like basically you give your book to people either through an ebook file or the actual physical copy. And then they read it and give you an honest review on it. So. Mm. Yeah. Actually, feedback was very well. <laughs> Good. You know, uh -huh. <laughs> at least everyone who did review liked it. So <laughs> how did that, I guess, I'm assuming there's going to be some things you're in the dark about if you hadn't read the pain eater, but mm -hmm. uh, these were people giving reviews of the magic man having not read the first book or had they? A lot of them had read the first one. Oh, okay. And then when I gave them the EPUB file for the Magic Man, they also got the Pain Eater as well. Oh, okay. For the physical copy, though, it was just the Magic Man. And then they got the EPUB file for okay. the Pain Eater if they hadn't read it yet, if they were interested, you know, okay. to read it. 
Because there were a few people that hadn't read the first one first. Okay. That read this one. <laughs> and the channel was like, no, you need to read the painting first. <laughs> Go read it. A lot of people like this one better than the first one. Just, you know, as far as the paranormal thriller, there was more paranormal aspects to it mm-hmm. in this one. Like I said, the painting was very emotionally driven. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not that they didn't like the painting either. They just were like, yes, this magic, man. This is the stuff that I was looking for, <laughs> you know, in the first one. Uh-huh. So, well, like we've been talking about how you kind of went from a lighter place with the pain eater to a very dark place with the magic man that translates or seems to translate to your literary tastes. I mean, you go from romance to splatter punk, like the extreme end of the spectrum to the other. And I can understand like a little variation within the spectrum, but from one extreme to the other is pretty wild. Is that natural or is that an acquired taste? Well, I, I love stories, but I really love authors. (laughs) (laughs) So I like to see the mechanics and the way that people write. So I think that's kind of why I will cross such an extreme genre, like go from one to the other because I do kind of like the feel goody stuff, but I tend to like more the horror and the paranormal thriller. And I just recently started liking extreme horror, mm-hmm. you know, to a certain extent, because it's very, very heavy and I do absorb some stuff. But yeah, I think that I really love authors and mm-hmm. I just love to see because it just fascinates me the stories that people have in them you know and mm-hmm. then how they execute it you know and it's kind of like that's my thing my thing is really I love the stories but I also love the writers behind the stories mm-hmm. I guess you could say yeah <laughs> that's why I'm such an advocate for indie authors you know or any author but I really love the indie author community because I'm just like I don't know they're my peeps <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> like I get you. I understand it, you know? Uh-huh. So that's pretty much. But on the whole, I love the paranormal or psychological thrillers, that kind of thing. Mm. That's like my top. But I will read romance, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because i really not a huge romance reader. Oh, okay. But I will. Especially if people reach out to me and they're like, oh, I have this book. Would you read it for me? And then I will do that. But it's not my go-to, mm. you know. So paranormal psychological thrillers. Yeah. That's, that's your... And horror. All right. Yeah. But you can always appreciate, I don't know what else to call it, but technical skill, but I know there's got to be a better word to describe a writer that's just really good at what they do, but maybe technical skill will have to do unless you know of something to refer to it as. No, I think that's about it. <laughs> Technical skills. I do. I look at that and I'm just like, I always think to myself, oh, would I have said it that way? Or would I have said that? You know, mm-hmm. I've noticed that when I tend to give reviews, that's what I do. I tend to write about how the writer wrote the story mm-hmm. because I'm just like, oh, they're really good. Like, <laughs> you know, I love it. Mm-hmm. Well, what role do you want writing to play in your life? basically what it is. It's just my everything. (laughs) (laughs) I love writing so much. Like, I don't know. I don't think I could ever stop writing, you know? Mm -hmm. I want my books to be out there. I want to be able to touch people through my poetry, especially. 
and uh, maybe scare people with my stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my new book, though, it's not paranormal at all. It's more like woman's fiction. So yeah. that's a little different for me. But I just love the imagination. So it can go anywhere. <laughs> it can go anywhere. And that's what I want. I'm writing to show a reflection of who I am mm. as a writer. I am just, I love it all. Well, this is kind of a touchy subject with some people, but what, <laughs> what do you think about the insertion of AI into writing? Mm. Well, I mean, I think that some people use it as a tool. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with using it as a tool, but uh, not to completely take it over, you know? Yeah. I think that's why it's such a touchy subject because there's all sorts of variables to it. I like to rant and rave about it, but uh, sometimes I have to sit back and think about, hmm, is there anything that I use that could be considered AI? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You know, I mean, I use my Alexa, right? Mm. (laughs) Oh, has Ziggy been behaving himself? Ziggy has been behaving. Okay. Now they say my name a lot more, but but they don't get attitude anymore. I don't know. I think Ziggy is a reason to not trust AI. I think that's the book is closed. It's so true true because that came out of nowhere. I was like, what the heck? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I think just being able to use it as a tool Mm. to help. I mean, pencils are tools as well, you know? So um, Samantha just showed me this one thing where you take, a picture and you go like this, like you kind of like grab it off of your iPhone and touch your iPad and you basically copy and paste Mm -hmm. like with your hand, you like grab it and hit it and it pops on the screen. I was all, what the heck? You remember that uh, movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise where he's got that screen set up and he's just dragging stuff in front of him? Yeah. That's coming out next month. No, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I would be I surprised. Know, you know, like I, I'm like waiting for you know holographs mm. and you know, yeah, and teleportation machines. You know, that stuff's my jam. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just waiting for it. But you know, it's all in due time, right? We have to not have a fear of those kind of things. I think mm. for it to run its course and to actually be something that's not going to be detrimental to us, we have to be on board with it. I have a resentment towards AI, though, because there's been two AI apps where I have entered. One was me and then one was my fiance. We entered pictures of us into it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm a little bit older than she is. But when it generates the picture, it is always an old man and what looks like a child. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, I am not that freaking older. (laughs) Is your hair like, do they make your hair like all gray? I didn't. The one I did, I didn't even have hair. I was bald. Like, I looked like I was death warmed over. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. (laughs) Yeah, so. Uh, Yeah, or you'll see where they'll have pictures and then, like, you'll have, like, ten hands. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Your face will be all cool looking and then you're like, what the heck? Uh (laughs) Why do I have ten fingers? (laughs) Oh, well. Before we go, okay, I would like to check in. What's been going on in the Arnett family as of late? Just, you know, trying to create. <laughs> <laughs> Happy 53rd to Garth, by the way. Yes. Yes, 53rd. 
Hi, baby. <laughs> <laughs> He's ready to retire. So, yeah. Yeah. He'll be retiring soon. So, we're trying to get all of that situated so we can just, you know, be the retired life. Nice. You know? Yeah. And I just want to write more and, you know, spend as much time with our grandkids as we can. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My grandson is like almost six foot. He's only 13, going on 14. It's just crazy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't tell the difference when they get to a particular age. I'm like, is that guy, mm-hmm. is he 15 or 20? <laughs> yeah, it's so true. The other day he was like, oh, I need some flip-flops because he was going to go out to go get in the pool. And I said, just grab your grandpa's. And he's like, okay. His foot was like, almost hanging off of it i'm like oh my god dude you're like 14 uh, <laughs> it's crazy yeah. but and time is going by so fast mm-hmm. so fast yeah so it's like yeah just spend as much time with your loved ones as you can and do the things that make you happy because mm-hmm. before you know it it's like where'd the time go just so fast yeah well i guess that's a good way to end yes Spend time with your loved ones. And what was the last part? (laughs) (laughs) Time goes by so fast. (laughs) Time goes by so fast. So spend time with your loved ones. Yes. Follow your passion. Do what you love. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. Don't wait until tomorrow. You never know. (laughs) Uh We are only promised, not even promised today, really. Not even promised the next moment. That's true. Yeah. It's true. Well, LaShane, as always, it has been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. I love talking to you, Vince. You know that. You're one of my favorite people. (laughs) You're one of my favorite as well. Well, as we bring the show to a close, is there anything you'd like to plug or let your readers know about or reiterate? Um, Just go out there and help support the indie author community by Mm -hmm. Indie Books and... um, that's pretty much it. And buy my books. <laughs> oh, yeah. Buy Lashane stuff. Yes. All right. Well, listeners at home, all links are in the description. And Lashane, thank you again for joining me. Thank you for having me, Vince. And thank you to everyone that tuned in. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to subscribe to the email newsletter by clicking the link in the description so you can receive the newest episode every Tuesday direct to your inbox, as well as announcements for upcoming live streams. Be sure to tune in next Tuesday, where I will be joined by a writer who uses surreal horror to promote mental health awareness. So until then... Stay healthy, stay sane, and as always, thank you for listening. See you next time. The end of the world has been on my mind. How do we get to the other side? Tell me that you're fine, but I see it in your eyes. You've been thinking about things that make you shake. And your shoulders tremble from the weight of the feeling It's all coming down Oh, and I can't make you wait forever We can make it out together And let all of the past be the past And we 
Together.